0: Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Honest Youth Pastor YouTube channel, the channel that helps believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life. Today, we're going to be doing that once again with a sermon review from someone that you sent in by the name of Leon Fontaine. Now, you may be new here and you may be asking, why are we looking at a sermon by Leon Fontaine? I've never heard of Leon Fontaine before. Well, each week we go through sermons that you guys suggest either in the emails, the DMs, the comment sections on YouTube, and we go through and we look at their sermons. Now, Each time we look at the sermons, we look for three things specifically. First, we look for, do they read the scriptures? Pretty simple thing. Do they read the scriptures? Secondly, do they exegete the scriptures using context and culture to bring out application for the believer? And three, do they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? All three things are incredibly important. It's a pretty low bar Sometimes we don't even get there, but before we get into actually looking at the sermon, there are three things I need to tell you about. The first of which is a link below for the full sermon without my commentary. If you're interested in this sermon, listening to the whole thing without me talking, which I would totally understand, the link for that is below. Now, if you do like hearing me talk but don't want to see my face while I talk, the audio link for the podcast is below as well. And thirdly, and probably one of the more—I uh, don't know if it's important—but one of the more important things is a free PDF download of our sermon review guide that we have that I use uh, when I attend church. I use on these sermons as well. You can download that for free in the link below. I think that's everything. There's more links down there. You can check them out if you'd like, but those are the three i want to tell you about. So i want to hop into this sermon review rather quickly because if you know anything about these sermon reviews, they can go a little long and this sermon uh just by itself is 40 minutes. So we know that my sermon review because i'm super long-winded uh it, it's going to be a while. <laughs> so let's go ahead and hop into it. Uh going through uh Leon Fontaine's message, how are you living? uh lo- looking at the sermon, asking those three questions and uh, sort of just seeing, hey, uh, what do we get from this? Is the text properly taught? Uh, So I, I don't need to talk anymore. Let's go ahead and pull up this sermon and get into it.
1: Father, help me to speak and teach. Today, help each person to quieten their mind, open their heart, and mix faith with what they hear. Father, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share something with you, but first I want to explain a problem that I see in so many people's lives. It's something that I had to deal with as a young pastor, and that's your focus as a Christian. You know, when Sal and I first came here to Springs 25 years ago, um, so much was happening and growing and going on, and, and the Christian faith, We always talk about repenting of your sins. And so when you give your life to Jesus Christ, he forgives you of your sins. And then if you're not careful, you start always checking yourself out. Like Back then it was when I grew up, a lot of the pastors around would sing songs like Searching Your Heart checking for sin if there's any evil way in you is there anything that's creeping into your life they were so worried about sin that that's all we thought about that's all we talked about that's all am i getting proud Have i is my mind wandering am i doing what god wants me is my heart really loving god and i would get so focused on that that i missed what salvation was all about and i've noticed as i travel and train pastors and leaders in our church and other churches that When you give your life to Jesus Christ, something amazing happens. All of your sins are forgiven. And that's amazing. You get to go to heaven. It's incredible. But if that's as far as you understand salvation, your life on
0: this planet doesn't change much. So his premise as he starts, right? So we've talked about this before. We talk about intros all the time in these sermon reviews. Um, Some pastors intro with stories, some pastors intro with the scriptures, some pastors, especially if you're speaking at a a, a church as a guest speaker, you're going to be introing with sort of an introduction. Leon, probably because of his business background, seems to intro this with, hey, here's the problem. I'm going to present the solution. The problem being that um, the focus of the Christian life often is missed. And, um, one of the things that, you know, that is focused on so much is sin, and sin is focused on so much at sort of the downplaying or the misunderstanding, I suppose, of the rest of the Christian life. What that looks like to live in a relationship with Christ is difficult to do when all you're focusing on all the time is, am I sinning? What am I doing wrong? How am I living my life? Uh, And in sort of a fear of that, essentially, is what he's sort of saying. He points out his own life, doing that and then because of the focus on one aspect missing out on the rest of them and then he sort of intros with okay well if you know if, if that's great if you understand that you've been you know saved from your sins but you're missing out on the you know abundant life in Christ if that's all you focus on because there's a lot more to this life now we we are going to talk about that we talk about that you know A lot on the Instagram page as far as sanctification and what that looks like. He's going to delve into that a bit, which is going to be interesting as we sort of unpack it as he does. Uh, But suffice to say, until we get to that part, his intro is, hey, the problem is, you know, where's your focus at? If it's misplaced focus, it might hamper the rest of your relationship with Christ. So let's talk about what that looks like then in a way that's going to hopefully help you as a believer. That's sort of his premise as he starts off this sermon. And in fact, did you know that stats show us that for, for most part,
1: the Christians have the same problems as the world, same percentage of divorces, same percentage of liars and cheats and, you know, and all the junk that goes on, same amount of depression and sickness and, uh, and, and you, and you kind of go, what's going on? Well, there's a way, there's something we have to understand about giving your life to Jesus. Not only is your sin forgiven, but this Jesus, He makes you alive. I am alive. No, we basically are walking dead. Did you know that you are three parts? You have a body, which is your earth suit. You have a mind, a will, and emotions, which is that, that personality. But then you are a spirit. And people are born. Every baby that's born on this planet is born into a culture into, with a nature of sin. What do I mean by that? It's a nature of fear. It's a nature where you'll have a hard time not being narcissistic, self-centered. Um, it's almost like, well, actually the Bible teaches us there's a mystery of iniquity and there's a mystery of godliness. Now, the mystery of iniquity is that each person is born onto this planet, and we're not born uh, where we are alive, where our spirit man is filled with the life of Jesus. Instead, people grow up, and they will struggle with their identity, with peace, with joy, with a sense of... Uh, it's it just they just don't really live the way God designed them in the garden so when you give your life to Jesus not only is it a forgiveness of sins but he comes in and ignites your spirit man with what the Bible in the Greek is zoe z o e zoe life which is an incredible life it's an incredible peace it's an incredible joy healing and and the
0: God's full I mean the Bible says in in John chapter Okay. So real quick, before we get too far past it, I was trying to find a good point to stop is that he defines sin as this, um, incorrectness in one's life. So you're not living in the way as we were designed to live in the garden is how he says it. Like, so you're going to struggle with, um, uh, what did he say? Like narcissism. You're going to struggle with like, you're just not going to live a way that you're supposed to, which is, isn't entirely wrong, but it also downplays sin being, you know, missing the mark that God has placed it, it it really downplays, um, the, this rebellion toward who God is. So you are in, in our very nature outside of Christ, God has set a standard that Paul says in Romans is written on all of our hearts, but yet our sin nature, we rebel against it. We know what we're supposed to do, but we don't do it. And, The way that Leon sort of lays it out here, again, I don't think that every sermon should have, like, fire and brimstone, like, um, you know, hard-hitting, like, you know, make yourself feel terrible about yourself all the time sermon. But this is really sort of a, hey, you're just sort of off, and Jesus saves you from your sin, so you're not so off anymore. It's really how it comes, how, how it's sort of communicated here. Sin isn't this enormous separation between you and, and God, it's more of a, Hey, you're not living quite the way you're supposed to live. And when you accept Jesus, you're free, you know, you're, you're safe from your sins and you're enabled to live the way you're supposed to live, which is like a yes and no sort of thing. Yes. That does happen when, when you believe and trust in Jesus by the gift of the father to do so and are transformed by the spirit to be, and are continually sanctified to become more like Jesus. Like there's a lot going on there that does, you know, um, change the way you think and the way you live. But the way that sin is sort of outlined here is very much, I, in my opinion, very much downplayed in regards to um, this, this separation between us and, and, and the father and the severity of that separation. And not just like, the fact that we're a little off, but that we are like in full out rebellion. Like we know what God wants and we say, ha ha, we're not doing that. It's a little bit more than just being off, but I do want to point that out um, here. Now he does make the point that when we are saved from our sins, we are, we are given new life, which that, that point, I think he gets pretty well on, which is this idea like we're transformed. There's this something that comes out of us as a result of this transformation. And then he's going to sort of unpack that a little bit more as we go.
1: Chapter 7, that literally when a person knows who they are in Christ, out of their innermost being flows rivers of living water. This, a lot of Christians think that it's just, you know, give your life to Jesus, get to go to heaven. I'm forgiven. And I got to work on being good. Work on it. Jesus himself lives within you. And this alive, this, you are alive with the life of God. And so as you look at this, this is where you need to stay focused. Then you, you find sin no problem. You're so excited and focused, and Jesus is so alive in you that life just changes. There's a verse in John 5, verse
0: 39. Okay, so anytime a pastor references a verse, you obviously want to go there. We're going to be going to John Chapter 5, as he said, verse 39. Now, I would write that down because this is sort of a red flag, not that a red flag like, oh, John, you know, Leon's a false teacher. That's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm just saying a red flag as in if all we use is one verse, we want to make sure that we do our due diligence and say, is this verse being used correctly within the context? The full context actually starts all the way back at verse 18, but if you want to look at the section in which this verse is sort of context in, It's 30 through 47. Now I am going to read this really quick just to give you a bit of a context of it. Verse 18 sort of sets it up and says this, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, him being Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So this is, this is the setup for every verse that happens uh, through this sort of context to where we do get to uh, the section of verses 30 through 47, which obviously 39 is found within, in which Leon is now going to use this verse. So let's, with that in mind, we don't have time to read all the way through 30 through 47, but I would encourage you to do that, to go back to see, is Leon using this verse correctly within the context?
1: Let's look at it. Now, to give you kind of a reference of this, Jesus is talking to the most learned people, of the then known Bible in the world. These are Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. They know the Old Testament, which is always here then. So here's what he says. You guys carefully study. You examine. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. Now, the word eternal life doesn't just mean the length of life for eternity. It means the quality of life.
0: People are Real quick, we're not going to delve much into this. I did a cursory look at this. I don't see where he's getting quality of life. I mean, maybe I'm just looking at the wrong resource, but I just don't. It just eternal life uh, isn't referencing quality of life now, from what I can tell. But that seems to be what he's saying.
1: We're often looking for help in their marriage. I need a better life in my marriage. Help with depression, sickness, family home, struggles, that they're looking for, uh, I need life, I need answers, so this eternal life. And it says, they do in fact, the scriptures do in fact, tell, testify, and witness about me, Jesus says, about him, concerning me, on my behalf. Everything in the scripture is moving towards Jesus. The entire Old Testament is all prophesying and getting ready for the Messiah who would remove sin from the human race and again make us able to fellowship with God and to be ignited with the very life of God. And the New Testament is Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John doing it. I mean, and then the epistles are explaining it. It's all about Jesus. And yet people will come to Christ become Christians, and all they do is they're happy, their sins are forgiven, and they're going to heaven. That's awesome. But I want to show you how to get a life. I want you to realize that if you live your life that way, you're going to be discouraged. You're going to be disappointed. We must recognize that a relationship with Jesus is crucial. And if we don't recognize that, we are kind of going to become religious people.
0: So he does sort of set up that if you don't understand that there is there is more past just being saved from your sins, you are going to be pretty... I forget the way he just said it. You're, you're, you're just not going to feel like you're getting anywhere. You're going to be frustrated because you're always focused on that one thing and not on the life that is actually provided to you in Christ um, as a result of your salvation. And now he's going to use sort of the rest of um, the sermon unpacking it. He's about to say uh, about being religious, which I think is a good distinction that he makes. There is a difference between living in light of the fact that you've been saved, knowing that you're a child of the King and, and living that life out with all of its stumbles and issues and learning uh, versus being religious, which is saying, here's a set of rules. I have to live up to these and then I will get the gift of salvation and which is juxtaposed, right? One is if I do these things, I get this thing. The other is I am adopted by God and I'm a child of God and I'm trying to figure that out. And I'm I'm living that out, which are two different things. Um, One of them is you obtaining it. One of the, one of the other one is that you've been gifted it and you don't have to obtain it. You just live in it. And that is what he's saying here in this regard is true because one of them you will constantly feel like you're falling short because you just can't live up to that standard. And the other one is, you know, you're loved and that love um, drives you to uh, pursue Jesus more uh, because you know, it's a gift um, that you've been given, not something you can earn. So um, that's, that's a good kind of call out that he's doing right now. Um, So he's presented it. Hey, if your focus is totally on sin all the time, you miss out on the life. And if that's if if that's all you're focused on, you're going to be miserable because there's more to it than just you being saved from your sins. Um, So let's see sort of how he unpacks this the rest of the sermon.
1: And religious people are hard to handle because it's just a whole bunch of rules and regulations and trying to live up to it. Now, in John chapter 1, verses
0: 1 to 4, let's go there. John chapter 1, 1 through 4.
1: It says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, Jesus. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. When Jesus comes within you, he ignites your darkness wherever you don't know, whatever you don't know to do. Oh, and any need where there's fear where there where, where discouragement sickness this presence of God just flows
0: out of you and meets needs so I just want to make a point like up to this point I was basically with him in regards to sort of how he was unpacking this in the focus I'm not totally not with him now but I just think that we need to look at first John one through what f- I'm sorry John 1 1 through four. In context of what's happening here the gospel of john is a megaphone saying that jesus is the messiah that he that he is god that he has always been god that he's not a created being like john is very adamant about this all through the gospel of john so leon here is though he's using this verse uh of light right so verse four in him was the life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it And using that light of men as sort of this, when Jesus, uh, when you realize who Jesus is, he comes inside you and he's the light of your life. Um, He's going to be unpacking this uh, as we sort of walk through this. And this is where, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to say this to where I don't ruin the rest of the sermon. There is a distinctive within Christianity of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit is the one that changes our heart and changes our mind in light of our knowledge of who Jesus is and the uh, redemption that he brings us. But the Holy Spirit is the one that changes our heart, changes our mind, that sanctifies us to be more like Jesus, that proclaims who Jesus is, that speaks of Jesus, that just honors Jesus. Like the Holy Spirit is, is in us doing those things. And if we don't understand that, uh, there are going to be some Trinitarian sort of work issues that aren't worked out in our life to where, uh, and we're going to see some of those in this sermon where it's Jesus inside of us, uh, Jesus guiding us. This is sort of what Leon is setting up is, is Jesus um, is our light and is in telling us what to do. Um, and I, I want to sort of parse out here the distinctives of, of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and sort of how the Scripture sort of speaks of the the differentiation there in the in the believer's life. Suffice to say, what Leon is, Leon is saying is that Jesus is the light inside of us, and He guides us, and He's going to sort of work that out through the rest of the sermon here. So we we want to pay attention to that and talk about that.
1: You know, twenty five years ago when I first came to Springs and the church was was just growing, it was just the amount of leadership that was needed was beyond me. And I remember with five kids and, and Sally, my wife, having to come to church and, and struggling to fit them in and park their cars and how many services could we fit and where we could? And, and it was just like systems and structures and business and finance. And, and so I began to study at, at a huge rate. I would average a book a day. I would just, I read my way through Drucker, Peter Drucker, if you're anything about management. And I had friends who had taken their MBA. I'd get a hold of their books. I'd read through that. Then as I'm trying to help with people, I'd study through Christian counseling, psychology, all the different things over there. And, and I mean, it just, I, I would just consume and grow and read. And, and, and it was good. It was good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it, I just, I was just, and I still do that. I practically bought a book a day, sometimes more, sometimes less. I'm just accumulating knowledge so that I can lead, so that I can, I can go the places God's called me to. But there came a time, a point in my life years ago, where I, I almost forgot that I had a relationship with Jesus as I'm looking for systems and answers and and, and processes and and how to counsel and how to lead and and how to guide and how to raise finances and build buildings and and become corporate and then become national and then become international and, and television. I mean, it just never seemed to end the things that God was opening doors. And I was just, go, man, go. And at one point I forgot that Jesus was my helper and that he was with me
0: and if that happens. see just really quick and i don't mean to pick this apart but it's interesting that he uses the term jesus is my helper and he's with me when jesus said that he was actually jesus said i ha-, he tells the disciples i have to leave so i can send the helper i can send the comforter um and this is how we see the holy spirit acting in the believers life throughout the new testament as um as the sanctifier as the helper as the comforter as the convictor in one's life this is the holy spirit's job to do that, to point back to Jesus. Um, And again, I don't want to be nitpicky, but I do think this demonstrates like sort of a misunderstanding. Uh, It it, it can be quite confusing, I think, for for the congregation that's listening to say, you know, to, to understand the Trinitarian roles within our life, like what that looks like, who the Father is, who the Son is, who the Holy Spirit is, how that works out in our life, what... Um, what that means, um, it's all, again, it, it can seem like it's trivial, which I would always question if you call the Trinity trivial, this is the core doctrine of the Christian belief system. Um, but it can seem nitpicky as well. But I think if we, if we understand what the Holy Spirit does in our life, um, It actually helps us understand why maybe some of the things that are how we're interacting with some of the situation in our lives aren't going the way they're supposed to go. Or we feel just, you know, no peace in them is because we're actually not understanding how God is is operating in our lives or desires to operate in our lives. Um, But anyway, I did want to call that out. Just again, words matter and words teach. And whether we think so or not, we need to be pretty careful about how we say things and why we say what we do say, especially as pastors from the pulpit or even as we're talking to people, um, because the, we may get like one opportunity to explain something to somebody and not that the pressure is all on us to make sure we're right all the time, but just um, so we can be as clear as possible in what we're saying to someone. What happens to you
1: the pressure and the stress begins to grow because if there's something that's not working, you think there's something you don't know and you're looking for hidden wisdom. You begin to look for knowledge you don't yet know. If you can't get results, you begin to focus on finding answers and The word I just used seven times was, I had to find it. Me, go find it, go get it, accumulate it, figure it out. And these keys, while it is important to grow and learn in wisdom, etc., etc., you can't ever lose the relationship with Jesus. I found that all that I learned could be applied and I love I love studying, I love learning, I love growing. I, I love taking on new projects. I love teaching business people and, and business owners. I love counseling with families and homes and teaching on marriage and raising kids and, and all the plethora of stuff that goes with raising up a, a great church. But I found out nothing can take the place of me having a relationship with Jesus. I would walk into business deals where we're looking for finances or we're looking for, I mean, you know, property or lands or buildings. And, and you know, and I'm walking in with all that I know about negotiation, with everything that I would know about understanding personality types and being able to read what disc this person is and where do I approach and how do I bring this business deal together. And then there's times when I, I couldn't seem to get past something. And as I just quiet myself and stop trying to me, 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 figure this out, I just gave Jesus. I do here? And all of a sudden he'd say, say this, go in this direction. And all of a sudden this deal would begin to flourish and millions of dollars will begin to take place.
0: So one of the things that he's saying here is, I mean, again, he's, he's focusing on the focus that we have. What is our focus? And our focus will determine sort of everything else. And he uses himself as an example saying that whenever he tries to do um, life on his own, uh, out of his own knowledge, out of his own uh, will, out of, you know, trying to make things happen, doesn't always go the way it's supposed to go. And oftentimes he's come to a point, he says, in which he realizes that like, oh, I'm not asking God. He specifically says, I'm not asking Jesus um, which way I should go on this. And when he realizes that stops for a second and says, Hey, Jesus, you know, which direction should I go? He says that Jesus, uh, he sort of says audibly, it almost comes off as this audible thing where Jesus says, Hey, do this thing. Um, and then he does it. So this is where we start getting like, off of the text. So his two main texts, if we're going to say they were main texts is going to be John chapter five and John chapter one, John chapter five, talking about, um, specifically, I want to pull that up so I don't get it wrong here. I'm sorry. Give me one second to get to that. John chapter five, verse 39 was our text. Uh, and it says, you search the scriptures because you think in them, you will have eternal life. Uh, and it is that they that we're, bear witness about me. So, again, we're not even on that text. This whole text is about people searching the scriptures to think that they have eternal life. And Jesus pointing to himself as eternal life, um, which is not what we're talking about right now at all. Uh, he seems to be focusing much more on the first, or, I'm sorry, John 1, chap- John 1, verses 1 through 4. Uh, mm-hmm. And using sort of this analogy of Jesus being the light in his life that guides him in how to make better decisions, essentially, is what he... And it's not just better decisions based on like, um, you know, guidance on particular situations of morality. It's on business and financial things, and uh, those are what he's using as his examples. So it's just interesting um, how this is much more of sort of an advice time with Leon than it is teaching from the scriptures. We have used about five verses. Uh, but we're not actually teaching from those five verses anymore. Um, We've referenced them, but now we're on, you know, when you're in a tough spot, realize that you can't do it on your own will and just ask Jesus to tell you which way to go. And then he'll tell you which way to go. Essentially is what John's saying. So don't focus so much on, you know, the sin Uh, or being saved from your sin, focus on as you live your life for Jesus, on which direction to go. And if you have a question on which way to go, ask Jesus and he'll tell you. It's essentially where we're at in the sermon right now. I would meet with people when I was counseling, and of all that I had learned about God's word
1: and, and counseling with people and understanding, uh, you know, inner vows and, and strongholds and transference and everything from biblical counseling to all that the world thinks they know and, and get nowhere and just stop and realize, I'm just not checking with Jesus. I say, Jesus, what's, what should I say here? And I would just sense coming up from within me, go in this direction. And I would go in that direction and watch this situation with two angry, bitter people just break. And tears begin to flow as they would forgive. And we put our finger on the actual button. I have discovered that you will be very limited if you live your life simply with your giftedness, your strength, your ability to figure things out. And as you succeed, if you think it's because of your ability you are going to make major mistakes. But if-
0: so this is accurate. Like this isn't wrong in regards to if you're relying just on your power, you will fall short of yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely true. As I've said in previous sermon reviews, right message, wrong text. Like what does this have anything to do with First John 1 through4, uh, John 5 verse 39? Like it doesn't. Like we're not teaching from the text. We're, we're teaching a, 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 not even really a distinctive, uh, well, I guess it would be a distinctively Christian principle, which is that if you rely only on yourself, you are going to fail inevitably at some point point, um, and you need to rely on Jesus. So I guess it would be a distinctively Christian point, but it's not anything that we're seeing from the text that he's read through the, thus far. It's just him saying it. So where is this grounded in scripture then? Because if we're going to make distinctive statements of, as a believer, you need to not rely on just your, your knowledge, but you need to rely on Jesus, where do we see that in scripture then? Like what, where? Am I relying on Leon and him saying this, or am I relying on the word of God? Because what you've shown me so far in scripture doesn't say that. But if it does say that, where does it say that? I mean, I've said it a bazillion times. I feel like I just am on repeat. Just rewind, play again, rewind, play again. But when people leave the service, I do not care if they think that I was witty or wise or anything. I want them to be anchored in scripture. So please give them the scripture that it says and backs up the things that you're saying in your sermon. Because if not, even if you're just hinting at them, that's not incredibly helpful to them because they're going to come back to you over and over again. Like, oh, well, this was a really good, sermon by what's his name right but they need to be grounded in scripture and know where this is in scripture
1: if as you learn and grow both in the word and in the acumen of your area you say it is you god that helps me to learn it's you that helps me to grow it's you that helps me to learn these areas of business and family and i'm relying i always i had to learn you got to put jesus first seek him first And if you don't, then you are responsible. And so the area of depression, the area of overload, the area of stress, the area of fear is when it's up to you, it's up to you, it's up to you, it's up to you. And you get the cart before the horse. And I realize the blessing of the Lord is upon us. His grace is upon us. Now I'm gonna learn. I'm going to grow. I'm going to develop skills and abilities. You know, all of us are wired to learn and to grow, and it feels good to do that, To develop skills, and and to begin to succeed in every area of life. But the second you move away from a relationship with Jesus and a dependency upon him, you limit your ability. You see, where I am in my life right now is far beyond my ability. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you do. It's not because I'm so smart, so gifted, so intelligent that I'm... No, 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 no. I, I would be a basket case trying to lead these four organizations and needing millions of dollars for this and. Enta-
0: so this, I'll just make this note. It doesn't really have, I mean, it has obviously something to do with this sermon, but in general, I think this is more just advice for pastors no one in this congregation or not hardly anybody in this congregation is going to be able to relate to the fact that this man is leading multimillion dollar organizations and networks and uh, has written books and all of that. And basically what he's saying says, I want to be where I am today. If I did it all in my own power, it's Jesus that helped me do all of this. Um, they're not going to be relate late to that. They're like, well, Jesus didn't help me start a network. Jesus didn't help me write a book. Jesus didn't help me do this or that or the other. Um, I think it's, it's much better to use examples of what you've seen in the life of your church. Right. So the, 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 the lady that struggles with chronic illness, right. What has God gotten her through in reliance on him? Right. The, the marriage that was broken and almost like no one thought it could be repaired, but Jesus um, works. Right. Uh, Like using examples of, like everyday things that have happened in the body to communicate what it looks like to rely on the gospel of Jesus Christ, to know that forgiveness is there. Grace is there. Mercy is there. Reconciliation with the father and with one another is accessible through the personal work of Jesus Christ and the sanctifying power of the spirit in our lives is going to be a more powerful, impactful um, story that, that, that everyone can understand versus the, I am where I am now, multi-million dollars, uh, lots of things, uh, very successful individual, uh, because I listened to Jesus in certain situations. Like that's, that's like really, it's, it's, it's not purposefully braggadocious, but it's sort of like a humble brag, but it's also something that the congregation themselves are not going to be really be able to relate to right? A very small percentage of this man's congregation probably understands what it means to even be a millionaire and what it means to like have that much wealth. It's just not a relatable thing for them probably. So if we're trying to relate the gospel, what it looks like to live out the gospel past, just understanding that you're saved, but living out the gospel in a way that says like, this is how it infiltrates all of your life. This is what it means to be led by the spirit. Um, This is what it means to be sanctified. Um, using everyday relatable stories is going to be much better. Um, It's going to hit better. They're going to understand it better, and it's going to come off a lot more humble than look at all the stuff that I've done.
1: Television around the world and staffing and issues and problems, it would literally shut me down. But I have a faith and a trust that Jesus will never let me down, and that regardless of what storms blow, regardless of the things that need answers that I don't have. He will guide me. He will lead me. He'll show me. He'll bring the right people into my path. That when storms blow, I don't have to sit there freaking out because i got to go find another formula. i got to go read 53 more books to find out. I'm still learning and growing and loving that. But to walk into situations where Jesus will guide you. Now, it's not just his guidance. It's also the relationship. All right, how do I say this without? I love team. I love who God has put on the team. But every one of you has to stand alone as well. You and Jesus. There will be times, maybe the time is right now for you, where you're going through something and people don't get it. This is not really a team thing. It's going to be you. And you'll need Jesus. Study the scriptures. Moses and his team didn't lead the children of Israel out. (laughs) Wasn't Gideon and his team the angel spoke to. It wasn't Esther and all the people around her that made the decision that saved every Israelite on the place. There are so many times in our lives where it's the responsibility of one, you. And you won't be able to delegate that. You won't be able to pass that off to someone else. It'll be you, and it'll be Jesus. I've learned to enjoy being alone with Jesus. I'm not lonely. I'm alone with Jesus. I've learned to enjoy him speaking to me. By that, I mean the impressions or speaking through his word. I've learned that if everyone goes against me and no one agrees with the direction he's called me to go, then it's going to be okay. I've heard from him. And every one of us needs to be at a place where you have a relationship with Jesus. He speaks to you. There's a sensing, a knowing. The church of Jesus Christ is so backwards on this that we have groups of people traveling the world just to get into a service where some prophet will give them a word. Some person will say, the Lord spoke to me. I've been at conferences where people are there, they want a word from somebody. And and this guy would just say, you know, God's got a word for you. And he'll point at somebody. And the tears just start to flow. And, and they're sitting there crying, waiting for the word. And the word was a verse or something. <laughs> I thought, ooh. Why is the church of Jesus Christ so dependent on somebody giving me direction, somebody giving me a word, somebody had a dream, somebody had this for me? You know, I I don't care anymore. I mean, I've I've gotten so many words from people that were so far off. But I'm glad that as I know his word and learn his word, as I get into situations
0: to just turn, just say, Jesus, what do I do here? So I do want to point out, I think that he's got a pretty good, valid point here um, in regards to the fact that people are very reliant on um, pastors or well-known speakers or like influential people in their life to like they will rely on them to be like their spiritual guide instead of the scriptures, So they won't read the Bible, but they will ask you a thousand questions about what is sin and what direction they should go and how they should handle the situation and all of that, but they won't read the scriptures. His point here is is good. Again, it doesn't have anything to do with the verses we read. We're not teaching through those, but um, the advice here is good in regards to, like you need to have as a believer, a relationship with God that you know God's word, you know the scriptures so that when things do come up in your life, you're not totally lost on them, right? So you know, for example, if you're married, you have read the scriptures, you understand how a husband should treat his wife, you understand uh, as a wife, how you should interact with your husband. Like there is a, um, I don't want to call it a formula or something, but there, there is a way in which God has structured a marriage to work efficiently and well. And when you work within that, it is amazing at how well the marriage works. But when you try to go outside of that on your own will and figure it out and do it your own way, it will almost inevitably cause problems, and there will be uh, situations that are just are filled with strife. And so, what he's saying here is is good in the sense that it does communicate that as believers we should know God's word, we should follow God's word. So when situations come up, we're not panicking, looking for someone else to tell us what to do, because. We have the scriptures. We know what God has said on it. We know how we should interact with government. We know how we should interact with one another. We know how we should interact with those that are our friends and our enemies and how we should forgive and what it looks like to be generous. Like all of these questions that we have are answered by scripture, maybe not like in very specific ways, but in very principled, uh, vague, I suppose you could say, ways that are that, that are open enough to where a variety of situations can be answered by that, that verse. And when you know that, you're able to, to live in a way that, again, is what he's saying in regards to you're able to live a Christian life where your focus isn't just hyper-focused on like, oh no, I'm a sinner, but it's focused on how do I live out this life well as God has ordained life to be lived. And you're not having to go to every spiritual guru or influencer or pastor to figure that, you know, to answer your questions because you have the scripture. So here I do want to point out, I think this is really good because people are so apt to not look in scripture and just to ask someone else. We get DMs all the time. What do you think I should do in this situation? As a pastor, you get questions all the time. Hey, how do you think I should approach this? Like almost all of those questions are answered by scripture. And what we're really looking for is some sort of verification because we don't want to, we don't want to like, we don't want to bite the bullet, make the call, make the decision. Uh, and in some instances, that's good that you're getting like feedback and follow up. But in other instances, you're using people as a crutch um, when the scripture has has told you what to do in that regard. And I think this is a good point he brings up. Again, not to do with anything verses here that we're looking at, but this is a good point.
1: I'll read. I'll talk with people. I'll, I'll do everything I can with in my own knowledge to talk to brilliant people. I have access to some of the most smartest people on the planet in all these different areas of ministry and business and etc. But in so many cases, there is no you know this is right, this is wrong. That's an easy decision. But what do you do when there's 43 good things to do and you got to pick one? <laughs> How many know that every good idea is not a God idea? You know, when I had no options, any option, I'd have taken it. But now where we are today, i got a ton of good things we could do. But I've got to know what God is saying. And I know in Ephesians 2.10 that God has prepared paths for us ahead of time, every one of us, and that we should walk those paths. Well, the only way to walk those paths is to listen and to be guided by this relationship with Jesus. And when... Whatever relationships you've got don't seem to minister to you through the season that you're in. Sorry, guys, but your wife will never be everything to you. Sorry, ladies, but your husband will never be everything to you. There'll be times in the quiet of your night you'll need to make decisions about you and what you're going to stand with and what you're going to believe God for when it comes to marriage and family. I'm sorry, guys, there's times in where, where, you know, there's, there's no one around you who's going to pull the button and hand you the money, and, and your wife won't understand because she's not God. And so we must learn that you have a relationship with him. And when you do, when you do every area of your life, he will guide you through and as you accumulate wisdom and read and go to school and learn and and apply it's amazing what god can do with you but never allow what you've learned and who you are to rise up past god where oh i didn't have to talk to jesus today i got this big problem big problem pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall which is why we must always see jesus first in john chapter 1 uh And verses 1 to 4, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's saying here that Jesus, who always was, he's that he's the Word. Now, this is a really crazy thing, and I can't explain it to people, other than if you will develop a love for God's Word. And read and and get out to church and listen to messages and read great teaching books where you're just immersing yourself in the word. That There comes a point, if you'll pursue Jesus in the word, that it's amazing how all of a sudden, you just sense him and he speaks to you through his word. And, and as you begin to deal with marriage and family and home and business and, and all that, there's no longer this, well, I gotta fast for, you know, someone's I gotta fast 40 days. I said, what for? Well, I'm just trying to make a decision on on what to do and here. And I said, well, why do you gotta fast 40 days? Well, I don't know, just get along with God. I said, God leads you moment by moment. People will ask me sometimes, you know, we'd like you to come preach for us over here at this date and this time. Could you just pray about it? I said, no, I, I'm, I'm not coming. Well, just pray about it. I don't need to pray about it. I know. Well, how do you know? I just know. I don't need to go find it, sit in a cabin for three days with no food and, and try to find God's will. I'm in the middle of God's will. I'm walking out God's will. And sometimes when I'm on on point,
0: things get rough and it's not going to make me get off of his will. And sometimes it's great. Uh, I, I'm on point. I'm, I'm the word. We- So the one thing I would caution there is that really inadvertently sets up this sort of like spiritual hierarchy in the sense that. If you're sitting in the congregation and you're like, wow, because I don't know which way to go. I've asked God and I don't have a clear direction. And I thought maybe I would you know, go out and pray about it. But you're telling me now that I should be constantly walking in God's will so I don't have to ask those questions and I kind of just walk in his will. Um, I don't think that he's deliberately setting that sort of situation up because he's previously said that there's times that he realizes he gets off God's will and he's got to get back on it. And he's got to ask, you know, God, the, he keeps saying, Jesus ask Jesus the direction to go. Um, which again, I think is, he's conflating the Holy spirit and Jesus and you know, the roles of the Trinity here. But anyway, that aside, um, What he just said does sort of set up this spiritual hierarchy, which is where if I'm sitting in the congregation and I go, I don't know what to do in this situation, and you're telling me I should know what to do, like if I'm in the word, if I'm walking with Jesus, I should know what to do, and I don't, and I've asked, and I haven't got an answer, and I don't know what to do, and you're telling me that if I was in his will, I would know. And it sort of sets up this whole like, well, if I don't know, then I'm obviously not spiritual enough. But if I was spiritual enough, then I would know. So I need to sort of try to be more spiritual. I need to have that relationship with Jesus because I clearly don't because if I did have a relationship with Jesus, I would know what to do because I don't know what to do. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. And it sets up this confusion that's unnecessary. Like there are times that you need to go and really meditate on a situation and pray about a situation and you still may not get a clear answer on what you're supposed to do. I mean, again, I don't know I don't know Leon's you know background. I know it's, there's some connections with the TBN which gives me an implication or an indication that he's probably a bit more charismatic, but this this idea that like God's gonna give you an answer in every situation isn't necessarily true. There's lots of times that, you know, you, if you want to look at, like, now, there's lots of saints in the faith that will, if you talk to them, they'll tell you that there were situations they went through that they had no clue what God was doing until you look back on the situation, and then you see, like, what was going on. And you didn't know if you were doing the right thing. But now when you look back, you can see in hindsight it was the right thing to do, but you didn't know it when you were doing it. You can look in Scripture. There's lots of times that they're led by the Spirit, but they don't know where, what the outcome's going to be, like so they're scattered, right? The people that Peter writes to are scattered in the diaspora, and they've had to leave everything. You think they were like, oh, well, God's telling us to do this? No, they're running for their lives. But but his reassurance to them is that God is with them in this, that he's um that he's doing something in this situation. Um that's the whole James James's whole point is that like, yeah, you're going through hard times. You don't know what this looks like, but it's God working in you to develop you into the person you need to be. Um So I don't know if he's meaning to say this. It's coming off as this. It's coming off as this very much like if you're in God's will, you won't need to question about what direction to go. You'll just know and you'll just do it. Um which again, I think either purposefully or, or accidentally Sets up, at least in the mind of the hearer, that there's like spiritual tier levels here. That if I'm spiritual, I'll know what to do. If I'm not as spiritual as I should be, I'll be confused about what to do. And I just, we don't see this. And again, let me just harp on this point one more time. If we had scripture that was able to actually walk us through this, this would be clearer. And we'd have some sort of foundation, some sort of anchor, something to rely on. So we knew this was a trustworthy and true word. But because we're not, we're just listening to him talk, where does it say that I, if, if I am walking with Jesus, I am definitely going to know what to do in particular situations? I mean, at best, you have, um, you have Jesus saying, when you're drug before magistrates, uh, don't—is it Jesus? Oh, my memory is really terrible. I think it's Jesus says, when you're drug before magistrates, don't worry about what you're going to say, because in those moments, the spirit, will, the spirit will give you the words to say, right? So in that sense, yes, you don't have to worry about what to say, because if you're walking with the spirit, uh, you'll be given the words. Um, but like, that's the cl- as close as you can get to what, what Leon's talking about here, which I think is still a, like a reach about what he's actually trying to describe here. All that being said, let's get back to it.
1: We can have a relationship with Jesus today where He will guide you and lead you. Sometimes He'll tell you to shut up. You talk too much. Other times it's time to speak up, dude. I'm like, you've been quiet too much. Share. Whatever it is, I'm challenging you with this message that don't just come to church and look for the answers to your existing problems. Come to church and as you listen, say, I want to know Jesus better. I want a relationship with him. I want to get up in the morning and, good morning, Jesus. I want to open my Bible and say, Jesus, teach me today as I get into Scripture. As I'm going through a Christian bookstore, guide me with what information I'm going to need in the next season of my life. And go over and grab that book. Next time you're in the middle of a business meeting, and be care- just pause for a moment. Holy Spirit, you're going to guide me in this. Oh, I've succeeded in every other deal, but... Guide
0: me. See, and I do want to point out, because I've been so critical of him not referencing the Holy Spirit and instead referencing Jesus. He does. He just did reference the Holy Spirit. When you're there, you're asking the Holy Spirit to guide you. So I don't know if he's using Jesus and the Holy Spirit interchangeably. If he is, I think that's a bit confusing on a Trinitarian level uh, and definitely helping his congregation understand, like, you know, just very base level understanding of the Trinity and the persons of the Trinity and what that looks like. Um, but it's not that he's completely ignoring the Holy Spirit because he just referenced him. He just referenced the Holy Spirit. Um, so like, uh, it's just confusing. Like, are you using Jesus in the spirit interchangeably? Like, anyway, let's keep going. He will guide you with
1: things that you'd never know on your own. You know, God, what do I do with this woman? What do I do with this man? What do I do with this teenager? And you'll be amazed as the Spirit of God guides you. When you're going through things and you feel alone, you feel I'm at a season in my life. There are seasons of life where you feel lonely as you make decisions, especially you singles coming out of grade 12, trying to determine where you're going. People in the midst of their careers trying to figure out what do I do? Do I risk it? Everyone talks about take risks. There's time to take risks, and there's time to sit, stay put and stop being so discontent. How do you know which it is? You'll know if you develop a
0: relationship with God. See, and I just want to push back on that. Like, we don't have scripture that he's referencing to actually state that as a biblical fact. There are times where you are simply not going to know. And as he's always already referenced, there's going to be sometimes you're going to have like five, six, seven good paths, and you just don't know which one to pick. Guess what? You're just going to have to pick one. Sometimes you're just going to have to pick one you have to pick one and see where it goes and maybe it goes well, maybe it doesn't. But regardless, God's in control of the situation. Even if you weren't audibly or you feel like it was the right one, like as he stated before, like I just feel like what is being said here is really creating like a hierarchy of spiritualness. Like if I'm super spiritual, if I'm Uber spiritual, if I'm top tier, you know, varsity letter letterman jacket spiritual, I won't even have to think about which direction to go because God will just tell me which way to go which in some cases does happen, but in, in a majority of them, I don't think we see in the script, like very, so when Luke is writing Acts and specifically says that the spirit told Paul to go here or there, the reason it seems to me that these are mentioned is because these are deliberate things. Like these are big moments. These are things that are leading to specific outcomes. In which the Spirit says, you must like go do this. But it's a rarity. It's not like you see in every verse of the epistles or in the gospel where it goes, God told them to do this. God told them to do this. God told him to do this. A lot of it is just them living life and God's overarching plan being done even in the times that they're not doing the right thing. So I just want to I just want to make that statement. Like it's just he's setting up I don't I don't know. Maybe I don't think he's doing it purposely. I hope he's not doing it purposely. Maybe he is where he's setting up this sort of if you're if you're super spiritual, you're going to know what to do. And if you don't know what to do, it's probably cuz you're not super spiritual. And I know he hasn't flat out said that. But that's very much how it's coming across.
1: And this is the thing I want to leave with you today. If you want to begin to move to levels where not only is... See, move to
0: levels. There's a level system. God taking you there,
1: but you're with him. You're listening to him. If you're stuck somewhere in life, whatever that means to you, stuck relationally, stuck financially, stuck psychologically, stuck physically, maybe you need healing. I don't know what it is, but something stuck Stop looking for the missing key. Stop looking for the missing link. Stop looking for some new teaching. Start looking for some new prophet somewhere to give you a word. Just develop a relationship with Jesus. Get to know him for yourself. God never designed you to hear from him through only somebody else. Even as your pastor today, as I'm teaching you God's word, I'm not going to make decisions for you. You know, it was a wonderful day when I realized I don't have to answer people's questions. People often, and I don't mind this at all. They'll stop me in the hallway or they're going to say, Pastor, what do I do in this situation? And I'll listen to them. And I might prompt them in a direction. Well, God's word says this. If it's obvious sin, I'll show them in the Bible. But a lot of times it's choices between multiply good things. I never make that choice for them because I don't want them to be dependent on me. I'll say, I'll pray with you.
0: See, and that's a good point, right? Making sure that people are reading the scriptures, developing a relationship with God, and understanding them and not being reliant only on a pastor. Again, he does say, you know, making sure that you're not reliant on just, you know, getting information just from a person. God will uh, guide us and speaks to us through his word, through the shepherds he's put over us, through the friends in our lives. But, the thing that he's pointing out here, like, I like what he just said. Like, it's not just, he is not the answer man for all your spiritual problems. And that's a good thing to state. Your pastor is not the one that you should go to for every spiritual answer in the world because God's giving you the scriptures. The shepherd is there to help guide, to help, um, you know, maybe clarify or walk with you through, you know, some difficult situations. But even in some of those instances, so are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, so, Pushing and pointing people back to the word is the right thing to do here, which is where I'm so torn because there's parts of this sermon where I'm just like, ah, this is so problematic and like you're not spiritual enough and if you were, you would know. And then there's other parts that I really like, which is like this advice here, which is like I'm, as a pastor, I'm not the answer man for everyone. Go to the scripture. What does the scripture say? And pointing them back to that. It's just like I'm so back. I'm a ping pong on a table here on like my opinion on this.
1: And God will show you and God will guide you, because you, you're brilliant. You, God loves you. You, he'll speak to you, he'll guide you, he'll be there for you. If he'll do it for little old me, he's for sure gonna do it for you. And I'd rather have a church where people are not, ooh, you know, pastors, ooh, I gotta, and they go, no, all of us hear from God all of us have a relationship with him all of us can know all of us can rise up and then that is where maturity is that is where this desire to know him you'll make incredible decisions he'll guide you and i'm telling you there's nothing like it when you begin to have a relationship with jesus you think like him you ever notice that you can talk to somebody's kids and you know who their parents are as soon as they start chatting because every home has a culture. Every home has, I don't know how to put it. The disciples, when they would go out and talk, people would say they could tell they'd been with Jesus. And when you have a relationship with Jesus, there's a peace about you that comes out of the relationship. It doesn't come without a new, knowing new formulas. When you hang with Jesus, there's a joy about you that it's out of relationship. The miraculous is around you and or before you, and people sense it. They don't know how to explain it. This this last week I was talking to a a business lady and, and Sharp and knows her stuff, and we were just chatting, and she goes, you know, you have a confidence about you that is just peaceful. Now, she had a confidence, but it was a little brittle. (laughs) <laughs> you ever notice that because my confidence is not in me so i'm not dependent on me because i've already figured out i don't know where to go next i'm not going to be able to handle a whole bunch more but jesus in me can handle a ton more jesus in me he'll never leave me he'll never forsake me i don't look at the future and go oh my god where's the economy going oh my god what am i going to do what if people find out i don't know what to do oh i'm telling you i'm just stressed i am tell you pastor i need help That's because your confidence is in you. But if you've got a relationship with him, John chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all telling us you've got a helper and that Holy Spirit is with you. He will guide you.
0: See, so there he goes. So yes, he's mentioning the Holy Spirit, guiding us, directing us, being our comforter, being our helper. Like This is all good. It's just I think that... um, like I said, some clarity in in how he says some things would make that a whole lot clearer for people throughout the entire sermon. Um, because it's been confusing, I think. And maybe I'm over, maybe I'm overanalyzing it and I'm, I'm just being far too critical. I'm sure somebody probably thinks that. But I, I think not being clear about, you know, is it Jesus telling me what to do? Is the Holy Spirit telling me what to do? I know they're the same, you know, they're the same God in the same Godhead, but they're distinctive persons. Like, how does that work? Like, you're not going to explain the whole Trinity in this sermon, but using consistent language will help people sort of understand what that looks like as you work through the rest of the sermon here. Um, so, anyway, he's, uh, yeah, let's keep going. We got a, we got about ten minutes left in this sermon altogether. Lead you lead you.
1: The Bible says that although. The, there's a verse in the Bible, and I, I know why I'm going off like this. It's helping somebody that says that, you know, who can tell God what to think? Who can tell God? But it says, but we can have the mind of Christ. In the Amplified Bible, it says, we can have the emotions of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? We can have the thoughts of Jesus, the direction that Jesus brings. The breakdown of the human mind and emotions usually comes from a level of stress where you have become so dependent on yourself and you begin to realize, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what decisions to make, I don't know. And you're at a great place because you've already realized that. Now, if you come to Jesus where you are, this, this relationship will guide you and it'll look like it's you, but it's really who's within you. Now, the people we gotta worry about in the building today right now are all of you who are really successful. You think you're the man. You think you're the woman. You know, look what I've done. And it'll take you to a certain place. But to move on from there to places you could only imagine. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, that God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ask or think. And then it says, according to how talented you are? No, according to the power of that is at work within you. Who's that? Jesus. You're precious. God loves you. There's nobody in the room that much smarter than anybody else. You know, everyone's got an area. Everyone's got like some line of smartness and intelligence. So we don't have to compare or worry or get our egos up and who's smart. There's no, just why you just admit it. I'm just dependent on him and he guides me in my relationship. I can't even say I'm a great dad although I'm a pretty good one because I got Jesus on the inside of me. I can't say that I'm this amazing husband, but, but I'm pretty good because I've learned to rely on Jesus to love that woman through me. I can't say well, I'm the man at church, but, but I'll tell you, now that I've learned with Jesus that he guides me and leads me and that my helper knows everything, that's pretty amazing. Now I look to the future, and I know that it's endless. I don't have to worry because it'll never end because I've reached the end of my ability, because my helper is God. And he'll never leave me or forsake me. He'll walk me through every relational challenge. He'll walk me through every financial challenge. He'll walk me through every health challenge. He'll walk me through every mental challenge. He'll help me to become and stay dependent on him. And that's my challenge to you today. Love the word. Stay in God's word read listen to great messages every day feed yourself because god's word is crucial when you get out of god's word for some reason you start getting independent of
0: it and you can do it i do it all the time there's times i'll go for weeks so real quick though he hasn't preached out of a specific text like he hasn't taught through a text what he is saying here isn't bad he is sort of giving This whole sort of talk has been more advice, like pastoral advice, than it has actually been teaching through Scripture. So you can take that for what it is, right? Maybe it was good because it is some pretty good advice that has been given, or you could say it was bad because it's a Sunday morning service and we're not actually teaching through the Word. We're just hearing Leon's pastoral advice. So you can take it, you know, for what it's worth, one way or the other. I would much prefer he would have taken a passage of Scripture and taught his people through it but maybe this isn't sort of an off Sunday and this doesn't happen a lot. And this just happens to be a one-off in which he's given some pastoral advice. All the advice he's given for the most part has been pretty good. Like I said, I've I've sort of noted what I, I think is could be worked on a bit, um, but he's been, but that aside, Um, I think the advice he's given is great. One, he said, you know, don't rely on one person to be like your spiritual guru, be in the scriptures. He's saying right here, like you need to be in the word all the time. So, you know, the word, so you know what God's will is for your life. Like all the things he's saying here are helpful, are good, are right things. Um, I think, again, you could really bolster them, really anchor them, really demonstrate how in scripture um, this is the, the will of God for the believer. We've not done that. Uh, but all the advice he's given is, is good advice. It's not bad advice. Uh, I just think it would be better done when connected to scripture, if that makes sense. Um, but he is imploring his people that like, if you want to know the will of God, be in his word, that is where you are going to find God's will for your life. And the more you're in the word, the more that when decisions happen to you, uh, or you have to make decisions. You're going to have easy. You're going to be able to make those decisions easier if you've been in the Word because you already know what God, uh, what God's direction is. So if he's saying that, I would agree with him. If he's saying um, the more spiritual you are, the more Jesus is going to tell you which direction to go, I would disagree. But he's not being like super clear on which he's which which he's sort of planting his flag in, uh, because one is, I think, it's very much the way believers should live, which is know the word and then live out of that word. And the other is more of like a spiritual hierarchy, which is if you are spiritual enough, Jesus will tell you what to do. And he sort of alluded to both in this sermon, which is where it's like sort of confusing because we're not grounded in the text. He's just giving us advice. And so it sounds really good and it sounds great. And it sounds like sort of grandpa-y, grandpa-y grandpa grandpa-pastory wisdom um which is great but like can it be trusted is it connected to the scripture is is my big gripe so far where i'm
1: starting to get stressed and more stressed and more as i'm trying to figure this out and figure this and fix this and i'll just go i think i've been leaving god out of this one and i just come back into things and jesus sorry i'm so glad i realized it's going to be you anyway so what do we do here and and how do we walk this thing out? And, huh, now that I'm back in a relationship with you, I'm feeling your peace already. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And boy, my body's healing up already because it's not designed to handle stress. And, and by my relationships are already getting better in two minutes because I'm finally back with Jesus. It's amazing what He'll do with you, Father. I pray for every person here that they would know how loved they are. That they would know that they're made in Your likeness and image. They're all wonderful they're blessed, they're intelligent. But Father, none of us are designed to do anything without you. And the future you have planned is so big we can't do it on our own. So help us to develop not another religion, but help us to quietly in our time with you learn to sense your voice. Learn to sense your direction. Learn to feel your peace. Learn to walk in your joy that father, our futures could be healthy as we advance your kingdom. I pray this every head bowed for just a moment.
0: Okay. So he's going to go into like an altar call time. Essentially. Uh, we're going to stop this sermon right now at, at, at the minute at 30 minutes, 53 second mark. If you want to watch, there's clearly there's seven more minutes left in here. Uh, a huge part of it is, you know, an altar car situation. A whole different thing could be said about that. I'm not I'm going to stop at just the sermon part cause it's a sermon review. Um, so let's, let's get back to the main screen here. So let's go through the three things we always look at. Did he read scripture? Um, yes, technically, uh, we had one verse from John chapter five. We had four verses from John chapter one. And so then the question becomes, did we work through these texts culturally exegetically to bring an application? Um, not definitely not for John chapter five um, at all. And then John chapter one, I would say that like, he's stretching the use of Jesus being the light in regards to the light that like guides our path and tells us what to do and that sort of thing. I think that's a bit of a stretch. So I don't think he, though he read some text, I don't think he, you know, exegetically worked through them. And then when we get to the last question is, did he preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Um, we really didn't get there. And just in case you're like, yeah, but you stopped this sermon with seven minutes left where he's going to give like, you know, an altar call. Agreed. But if you watch that, we don't have any talk of sin, uh, of repentance, of, of trusting in Jesus to transform your life. Um, we, we've had bits of that. Again, to be fair, right? He did talk about Uh, Sin. He defined sin. He defined what it looks like to be saved from your sin, what it means to walk out that life in Jesus. So you could technically, I suppose, say that he, he gave us like a very bare bones presentation. But as I said in, in that section of the sermon, I think you really downplay sin as like this, you being a little off in your life and not like the reality of this enormous separation between you and the father, which then, brings forth the need for the son, um, this reconciliation to be made between us and the father, because we're in rebellion toward God, even though we know, like we know his rules are written on our heart and we rebel against them anyway. So Jesus comes to save us, not only from our sins, but to take the wrath of God on himself, give us his righteousness. Therefore we can now live out this holiness that's demanded of us, not on our own merit, but on, on the merit of Jesus, his righteousness, And be transformed by the Spirit um, to be more like Jesus. So that, to get to John's point in this sermon, or uh, Leon's point in this sermon, uh, as we live our life, we're being more sanctified to be more like Jesus and being able to live out the life that we're meant to live out. So I'd say um, yes on the fact that he read Scripture, no on application, uh, given exegetical work, and no on presentation of the gospel. My overall take on this sermon is pretty much this, like it's good pastoral grandpa-esque advice in the sense that it really comes off as like, if you're going to sit down with your pastor because you have a question, or if you're going to sit down with like, you know, your, your Christian dad or your Christian grandpa and you want advice, like this would be the sort of thing they tell you, right? Uh, you know, trust God, follow God, be in his word was essentially the whole thing. Like you're saved, but there's more to this Christian life than just being saved. And this is what it looks like. And that's sort of the tone and the tenor of the whole sermon. Um, We're not grounded in any text. There's no pointing back to the text. Uh, We sort of read the text almost as if just because we have to. (laughs) Uh, So we don't make it all TED talk, all like spiritual grandpa talk. Um, So it's not bad. Like the advice he gives, as I've already said, the advice he gave wasn't bad, but it wasn't grounded in scripture. He didn't teach us through scripture. He didn't, you know, tell us, hey, this is where it says it in scripture. He did direct us to do that on our own, for sure, which is great advice. But we didn't get anything but good advice. And so when we're looking at sermons like this, we can walk away and be like, wow, that was really insightful. And technically, yes, it was insightful but did it help us grow in the Lord? Are, 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 are we, are we built up? Are we edified because of what we just heard? And if we are edified, where did that come from though? From scripture or for Leon? Like, are we leaving going, wow, look at how God, how good God is. Or are we saying, man, Leon has some really good points. I'm going to have to think about what he said this week. Anyway, that's my two cents. What's your two cents? Leave it in the comment section below. And if you like this video, make sure you give it a thumbs up. If you hate this video, I suppose you could leave a thumbs down. That is your prerogative. But if you think this might be helpful to somebody else, make sure you share it as well. That helps feed the algorithm, guys. And if you want to support us, links are in the description below. A lot of what we do on this channel is only possible because of our patrons and subscribers. And if you want to become one of those, you can do that on the links below as well. Guys, I'll see you later. Trust that this was helpful. Have a good day in the Lord.